Hey, how you doing, Internet? I'm Tripp, and uh, this is uh, aftermath of having a really bad night. I uh, actually had a system crash when I was broadcasting before, but I wanted to make sure that I got this up onto the net. Uh, the thing about you can't remove something from the net, I spent the last hour or so getting rid of my mistake. Uh, I wanted to turn this into a podcast, and it's really too long. It was a pre-recorded show, and it's really too long to uh, get over or upload, uh, rather, to everybody at the same time. I wanted it out there. So, without further ado, I'll play this in a second. I did want to say thank you to uh, the people that uh, were sharing the video when it was bad, but... Uh, what can I do? The computer rebooted. Anyway, I uh, last February had interviewed Scott Sobel. Really interesting guy. Um, I'm going to pull up um, a commercial that he made on YouTube. I had heard this, and this is an experiment for me. Part of it is his commercial showing his books. He never did give me his books, and I didn't remember the names of them. I saw this. It's a really short segment, and what um, also is going on is I heard YouTube will yank your video if you have another YouTube video in your video. So I thought I'd try it out, see if it, this video stays up there. It doesn't matter if you're seeing this on other systems. It doesn't matter what YouTube does. And, of course, anything that does go on YouTube, for me, goes on library anyway. If you do YouTube, you should do that as well. So without... It's been uh, nearly curious. three and a half years since I released my first book, Hacked Again. In that time, I've spoken to, presented to, and emailed thousands of readers with questions about my book, about my being hacked, and some things I never even thought to write about. Also, in that time, I've covered many stories on major data breaches, state-sponsored hacks, and even big tech spying on all of us. I came away with two commonalities. Firstly, cybersecurity concerns are not going away and only continue to grow. Secondly, the attack vectors, targets, and damages concerning small businesses cannot be overstated. In fact, there are over 30 million small businesses operating in the United States alone. These businesses collectively employ hundreds of millions of people. So I wrote my new book with that in mind. Of course, I also tackle topics like cyber insurance, ransomware, card skimming, cryptocurrency, robocalls, and many more. I also detail the major breaches that rock the cybersecurity world, including Equifax, Yahoo, Marriott, Uber, and more. I challenge any reader of my new book who says they cannot relate to or understand why they should be reading this book. From big data spying to social media abuse, modern cybersecurity involves each and every one of us. We're all in this together, which is why cybersecurity is everybody's business. Available now on Amazon or your major bookstores. And that's exactly why I wanted to introduce this guy to you. Um, he is really a fascinating guy. Um, the other side of it, too, is... Um, I do have a podcast. If you're listening on the podcast, of course, you know that I have one. But uh, I just got done over the last weekend of creating a podcast on virtually every podcast download system. I think I'm on them all now. Um, that was a little fun to get uh, things connected and interconnected and getting all that set away. Uh, at any rate, here's that interview I did with Scott. The thing is, a lot of people don't realize that the way of media and the influence of even the small guys like me that have, you know, a relatively small following, there are so many of us that we together collectively have more eyeballs than major media. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it, that's, the, that's, in fact, what Craig and I were chatting about earlier because we're trying to find different ways to talk about the book and promote it. And I'm doing a, um, a, a radio, a really it's a, a audio podcast, but called Cybercrime radio. So I'm going to be doing a one minute segment every single day for the course of a year, which is a lot of content, but it's, it's the, 
the frequency of it and having quality content along with video podcasts and writing and blogging and speaking and so on and so forth. So it's, it's the culmination of all that that just keeps the brand and the name out there and really helps you grow, I think. Yeah, well, there's two sides to the brand, and it took me a long time. This is my personal take on it, but the books that I write and have written, um, I'm on my fourth. Okay. Uh, I did a, a fictional book, and I made a mistake that every author should make. What I did is I wrote a novel that was about a personal experience called Extortionware, A Hacker's Tale. Oh. I took it to DevCon and released it at DevCon. So I had the vendors in the vendor area. I was carrying them in my backpack. Most people that write a book, unless you've got, unless you've got some kind of media experience and you can get a nonfiction book into media because fictional books don't ever go on to media unless you're somebody ultra ultra famous yeah you got to be celebrity status yeah, or something maybe correct so but nonfiction books sell a lot easier anyway most people that write a novel sell the people that you hear about on amazon they sell a hundred to their family and friends their entire yeah, life that's what i heard about yeah and i ended up selling 400 copies wow. at defcon Congrats. Uh, That's great. Yeah, I, and I physically had them. Um, I brought back twenty three. What's that? You thought ahead to bring them. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I just didn't know. I never did it before. And but the thing is that you know, so many of us get wrapped up in this brand awareness thing. And really, Scott, what it's going to come down to is who you are. Yeah. Um, can't be somebody you're not. Just stay true yeah, to your brand. And you'll yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's really, you know, so in the security space, I mean, I understand where you're coming from with the, the password stuff. But my thing that I've always that I've always talked about is. And this is the bigger issue along the lines is where major corporations, meaning news organizations, sell ad space to criminal gangs who put zero day exploits into those advertisements and get a hold of corporate machines. I can't tell you how many times this has occurred. You're aware of this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of a lot of things there, especially if they're putting them in. Ads and, and people, as we know, they're creatures of habit and they're so quick to just click on there and they're not thinking and they get induced. It, well, you don't even, you don't, with Java, you don't even have to do that. All you got to do is pull up the web page and you're mine. Oh, yeah. Just go there. And I don't even have to own the web page. I just got to buy an ad to it and allow them to put uh allow scriptlets which microsoft allows google allows mm -hmm. uh facebook allows they used to allow i don't know if they are anymore you know about cartoon me right what was that i didn't hear you cartoon me no Cow cartoon me ran on facebook for about two and a half years and okay. was a group of criminals out of i think it was moldovia Ooh. So when you saw Cartoon Me on Facebook's webpage, there was a back door to it that invoked a keyboard logger built right into the ad. So all you had to do literally is go to Facebook. Yeah. Um, and, and see the ad. You don't have to click on anything and it's there. Just boom, it's just right there. Now, now, a lot of people, when I talk to about key loggers, and this is still, still like a couple of years ago, I would explain it, and it was all deer in the headlights. Some people get it now, but still the vast majority of people, uh, and it's just small businesses and, and different niches, they are not familiar with a key logger. They don't use an anti-key logger. They just don't get it. Um, and it's a shame, but a lot of it's well, best, best practices and education. Well, the other side of it is that Google and its Chrome browser, mm. Mozilla and its Firefox, Microsoft in its Exploder and 
its latest version have built-in keyloggers into the browser. Yeah. Um, you can't turn those stupid things off because they are doing capture. So if you have a plugin in your web browser, you can't get around it. Yeah. You're trapped. <laughs> yeah, and you got to choose a different browser. Well, it or use multiples. Yeah. Um, and don't, you know, the gang, there's a gang of people don't realize that, that there's a gang of companies out there that literally track everybody. And then the rest of the Internet leaves us alone. So if you know the gang, you use one browser for them and yeah. everything you know, else. You know how to get around it. Yeah. yeah I, I read one stat that the, the average browser, and this is not DuckDuckGo or things like that, but the average browser that people use they sell to 23 different companies what you type up in the top of there in your browser. There, there's so much now information that is tracked and sold about our viewing and clicking and what we're typing because of these type of, of plugins and things and, and key loggers. It's unbelievable. What do you think about the new California legislation? Hard to say how it's going to play out. I look at a lot of the things that uh, are coming from the um, from Europe, which I think kind of got things going as far as privacy and security and implementing it. That's trickling down now to the United States, to California, and other areas where they're going to start imposing a lot more things. I think um, it's tough though, and I think a lot of the tech companies, the way they respond to it because they're so powerful can prevent things from happening and it drags things out and they, they just find other means of collecting and kind of doing a mass surveillance on all of us and, and makes it challenging. Do you, what do you, have you uh, done anything with the Vermont stuff and the legislation that passed through there uh, recently? No, I haven't. I have not. The new law in Vermont, if you're not aware of this in the rest of the country, uh, Vermont requires that everybody that collects information register with the state. And if you don't register with the state, um, they're going to file a tariff, which they have the right to do or something like that. Um, I don't know how it's going to shape out because it, it came into be at the beginning of the year. And most of this stuff gets left to the courts. Yeah. I, I wonder sometimes they, they try to pass and push legislation and impose fines, tariffs, all these other things. How do they actually go about and make it happen can be challenging to actually follow through and, and penalize these companies for not doing it. Um, and it gets expensive. Like you said, it gets tied up in the courts. So I'm not sure of its effectiveness all the time, but there, there, there does need to be laws. There needs to be things in place to control some of the stuff. But to, to what point can it be regulated and, and can it control companies and, and protect our privacies? And it, it's hard to say. I was reading something the other day that was saying that the majority of um, DOS attacks are done at the domain level or DNS level. Do you have any insight on that? I've heard of similar type of things, but I don't have any specific insight into that. Um, I mean, we've suffered some attacks in the past. We haven't really been dealing with it as of recently with just some of the the adjustments we made and putting some actual hardware devices monitoring real time to prevent DDoS attacks. Um, but I still think it's a, a big problem out there. It's not going away, and it does hurt a lot of these companies that I'm talking to. And, and a lot of people are not doing much of anything. They're just complaining and getting frustrated. And, uh, you know, all it takes is a couple really big ones to take down certain portions, uh, you know, or a large company, and then we're going to have major problems there. I kind of equate it to, like, when they're targeting critical infrastructure or something like that. All it takes is one big attack to kind of wake everybody up to it. And there's been a couple of these DDoS attacks in the past there that I think have gotten the attention of people. So they've put some provisions in there, especially on the hardware side, um, to, to actually combat it. But it's it's still, a, I think, a growing concern out there, and it's still a viable threat. Have you, uh, do you guys get involved with the botnet and the detection of um, the botnet 
because of it's changing inside of IRC? What we do is we tend to focus in parallel to that, focusing more on the wireless side of things. So some of our monitoring capabilities is specifically with uh, Bluetooth, Bluetooth low energy, Wi-Fi, uh, and then, of course, cell phones. So that's our kind of niche area where we have a lot of expertise to monitor. And oftentimes that's paralleling most of the IoT stuff, especially if you think about, a, you know, a smart home, a smart car, this or that. A lot of these IoT devices are wireless. Your, your, your Nest thermostat, your, your ring doorbell, whatever the case may be. Um, we don't get involved as much on the packet analysis side on the computers, uh, computer networks where you're digging in and trying to, to uh, analyze the traffic and things like that, but rather focusing in on some of the tricks that they're doing in, in the world of wireless and trying to get around or use that as a conduit to hack into computer networks. So a fair amount of our products and tools are used to, you know, find find these type of threats. And especially in the world of, of spoofing and hacking, it, it's easier now to do these things than it was a couple of years ago because I think the tool sets that are available used to be to a very small group of hackers. Now you can hire a hacker. It can be a company, you get company you know, customer support and hotlines and all these other things. If you want to really get into it and you're a, a beginner, it's fairly easy because of all the automated tools and things that are already out there and how easy it is to get it. Yeah, download Metasploit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing, and I don't know if you get on the, on the dark web at all get to play around and see some of the stuff for sale down there. I think it just it's a community of people that are kind of tight-knit. They share information. They share these automated hacking tools, the knowledge base. There's a lot of videos available now. Um, and I think that, that that's a big problem. I always see a contrast. When you've got this hacking community, and, and again, I'm not associating everybody is, is bad there or it's all for, for stealing or monetary gain. Some of it's just hacking for fun, but a fair amount of it obviously is, is for doing wrong things. They share that information. Now, if you compare that to the good guys or even just look at the private versus public sector, they don't share information. It's all compartmentalized. And a company's breached down the road, but they're not sharing with this company or this government agency. Something happens. They don't share it. So it's real hard to get on the same page and stay protected, I think. Well, the, the, the open source, what you're describing is the open source community. And, the, and it's not, you know, I, I'll tell you, I'm conservative and in myself. And I see the value of the open source community and what that is if you're not familiar is a group of people that decide to meet um on their own and make something better and they can have any interest and you can there's a whole bunch of communities out there right now on the adreno which is a little low-cost computer uh, that runs separate from 8088, which is the CPU that's in everything that everything. you touch right now. It uses a different CPU, and I'm one of those people that refuse to go to the Greek compiler, so I don't play in that platform. Um, I'm an 8088 fan. So, but the Adreno community makes some cool stuff. I mean, the robotic stuff coming out of that um, in the controllers, the same thing goes for the Darknet. And by the way, if you don't have the Darknet right now and you're watching this and you don't know what we're talking about, this download tour, it's safe. Do, you can do this a couple different ways, but one of the most important things, and if you are watching this, we play on stuff, but we don't do it on the machine that we do with social media or our banking. And you never mix social media and banking. doesn't matter if you're in a work environment or not. Um, you just advice. don't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> people, people astound me that they walk around with one of these damn things and they got their bank accounts on it. Dumb. Big dumb. mistake. Yeah. So you get into the wireless side of things. How are you? How are you dealing with the newer devices that 
little kids can make using breadboards and doing frame deauthors, for example, for Wi-Fi and deauthors for Bluetooth so that when they're present within a 50-foot radius, there is no communication. What do you do? Yeah, there's a lot of challenges we find there. We've done some interesting things, especially in the in the blue Bluetooth world, where we could, and the Wi-Fi too, I should say, the Wi-Fi community, where we could sniff for a while and we're just looking for anytime there's a beacon packet or we could look and see what access point that they're associated to and then we could send a certain set of commands so that way they could keep pinging back their the target device so that we can direction find and hunt them down. Um, there's also some things where in Bluetooth, the world of Bluetooth, you could make it not discoverable and make it really hard and obviously not transmit your ID and spoof the MAC address and, and things like that. So we've got some other tricks that we'll do uh, as well to kind of fool the devices and thinking it's something else. And it kind of then says, hey, here I am. And then we could, again, hunt them down with that. And a lot of it's um, just using some little secrets here and there and also looking at the, the actual transmitted signals. So some of the stuff we're doing, we're truly demodulating the packets and in Bluetooth, it's a, it's a fast frequency hopper. So obviously we have to camp and hop along with that. But in other cases, we're doing that as well as just looking at uh, signals and signal strength uh, in certain areas. So we know that it's an actual threat and kind of the combination of, of doing that and some tricks in between allow us to really, isolate somebody that brings uh, a device that suspect into a secure space. So again, most of our customers are uh, government agencies like SCIFs. So if they're bringing anything that's going over the RF spectrum and we detect it, that's considered a threat and it can't get beyond a certain point. So our devices are not just looking at cellular in this narrow chunk or just Bluetooth. We're looking at a, at a wider a chunk of spectrum. And then within that, we're actually demodulating, logging, recording, and uh, making some association what some of those transmissions are in hopes that if there is a threat, somebody can look back at the hysteresis and say, ah, at this time, at this place, here's the threat. And we're doing that from a fixed standpoint where equipment is fixed on a wall, literally could be covert. Some of it we integrate into thermostats or literally in the wall so you don't even see it. And then at the other side of it, we're developing um, mobile solutions. So a threat's detected, someone's alerted. Now they could take a handheld mobile with uh, integrated direction finding antenna, and they could hone in on just that target, discriminate, and ignore everything else. So some of its tools, techniques, training, some unique algorithms, a couple different things we're doing that kind of distinguish us from what I can see from most other companies out there. And it's, it's been a great ride. We saw a lot of niche tools to a lot of uh, interesting acronym government agencies, I guess you could say. Are you uh, implementing a lot of AI? Uh, yeah, actually, some of it we have to because we're trying to discern more than just, hey, this is a signal stream here, understanding how the signal might be spread, understanding the modulation technique, understanding the uh, persistence of it. A lot of it we have to do with, we have to deal with uh, persistence. In, in one case, I'll give you um, an example. We, we do a fair amount of uh, monitoring on locomotives. We're on a little more than I think 11,000 locomotives throughout the United States. And there we're primarily focusing on cell phones, but more recently also looking at Bluetooth. So obviously if the operator of a locomotive has got their phone on or they've got, you know, earphones and their phone's hidden in the bag and they're getting distracted. Well, we could look and see, hey, are certain signals there, are they persistent and staying continually up as opposed to it's a cell phone, you know, 30 feet away from the locomotive track side that comes and goes based upon the signal strength amplitude there. So we can make some smart determinations and learn the behaviors and patterns, not just that happen real time, but even routes that are regularly um, the trains are going on the tracks throughout the United States. So you start to get some rich data sets, crunching all that and learning from it can be challenging. But as you start developing these things, it allows you to find some unique algorithms and things that you could then focus in on and say, aha, we see a, a certain pattern and we've learned this, this, and this. Let's now improve our model. Let's improve our algorithm real time so it gets better and better. So I think that that's really important. And we do the same thing on a roadside. We've developed a system called 
uh, a road hound and it, it's a portable trailer that's just like we see those big giant signs that say slow down, accident ahead, this or that. But we have one that's coupled. It's, it's got um, multiple detection engines, multiple direction finding antennas, as well as radar. So as your vehicle is approaching the sign on a road, if you're in the detection zone and we're scanning, if you're, you're an operator of a car and you're looking down and you're texting, you're making a phone call, we could then flash a sign that say, hey, don't text and drive. So it's more of a detection slash deterrent system. But a lot of that, to your point, it's got the essence of, of AI and some machine learning in there so we can understand the way that signals are propagating. So we're not false detecting if you're a guy that just happens to be passing the sign going the opposite way. Or if you're somebody just standing on the side of the road talking on your phone or texting on your phone. So we're not false detecting in some of these other um areas where they're, they're true legitimate signals over the cellular WAN, the wide area network, but rather we're just focusing in on the driver that's approaching as a target if they are breaking the law and they're texting or talking while driving. I see. A lot of people don't realize this too, but um, which AI camp are you in? There's only a few. I'm sorry, I missed you there. Which AI, if you're running AI, there's only a couple AI engines out there that are worth anything. Microsoft's running one, Facebook's running one, Google's running one. Amazon's Um, got something there. Well, Amazon Amazon and Google are kind of the same one. Yeah, Uh, they're using some similar stuff. And, and, And I think they probably all have some goods and bads with them. Some of the stuff we've done is with Amazon stuff. Some of it's hybrid stuff that we're doing here internally. Um, so I think you have to look at maybe application specific, what your need is. And obviously there's a, there's a price point to play in each camp, depending upon what you're looking to accomplish. Cause it's, it's, it's hard to jump into space, I guess you could say, and afford to do it unless you're a large uh, firm and you've got a lot of deep pockets and, and research uh, money or grants coming in perhaps. But, uh, and we do sell to a lot of universities with a lot of the R and D budgets where, where some of that certainly will help some, some of the, the black box box projects and things that we do there, but it, it can be a little challenging. How did you get into the security stream yourself? Well, our background really is, I go back, I mean, we're a 48-year-old company. It was founded by my father. Uh, he's, he's since retired. And a lot of the stuff that we used to do, and I'm talking, this is pre this probably early 80s was uh, television research. Uh, what does the audience watch specifically to, to television commercials? So we did a ton of uh, work for the three major television networks back in the days. We got issued a lot of patents and a lot of it got implemented, basically saying, what, what is Trip watching when he goes home at night and turns his TV on? Which commercial is he watching? Um, and it takes it to the next step. Is it, is it live or was it uh, you know, played back on videotape back in the days? Uh, how many times did you see it? So we created a database of about 30,000 plus commercials we encrypted it with some special encoding there, and then we developed the hardware that went outside of your television set, so you didn't have to actually tap in and would extract out that secret code that was embedded into the commercials that actually went out on live broadcast. Then we'd do carrier current down to the basement and then call out at night. All of these hundreds and hundreds of computers after midnight would say, hey, this household watched these commercials and with these timestamps, so on and so forth. That information was then used by all statistical companies and they had the AC Nielsen's and Roger Percy's and others to then sell to the major networks and get, you know, the, the value of the cost for selling uh, ad space there in commercials, which was pretty fascinating. And it was a multi-year project that we got involved in developing the hardware and the software. But then about mid to late eighties, we were contacted by a, a consortium of companies down in the Washington area looking to actually develop out the, uh, the wireless networks, the mobile phones as, as we know it today, the cell towers, where in the world do we put them? How do we optimize? How do we do signal propagation? That type of stuff. So we were heavily involved in that. And we still are today as the standards evolve from the first generation all the way now as we're going from 4G, fourth generation LTE to the fifth generation, we develop test transmitters, test receivers, and then the software to help doing signal propagation to find out where do you put the towers or in the fifth generation, these mini base stations that are slated to be placed all over the world so that we can have high speed, 
you know, instant gratification, low latency, and all the other wonderful benefits that are promised with the, the 5G build-out. So we kind of get involved in certain pockets of technology, develop test tools to help grow that standard. And then at the back end, it comes the part to your question, well, learning all that, you learn where the vulnerabilities are. So how are the bad guys going to now exploit that technology or that standard and find the weaknesses? So we will develop tools to hopefully counter that and allow the good guys to, to go after the bad guys and, and catch them. And again, it's always usually tied to, to the wireless stuff since the mid-80s. Most of our projects are. So it's kind of exciting to, to dabble in that space all the time and get involved in different things. I think the one area I've really been excited about is... Um, not from a good side because it's a problem, but is the skimmers, the skimmers in, in gas pumps and ATMs. I find it fascinating how, how they are just everywhere. They're blanketed throughout the United States. Thousands and thousands of skimmers they're pulling out in each state in the gas pumps and the ATMs. So we've developed some specific tools to actually counter that. So we could find old traditional school skimmers that are placed in where you slide your card into the ATM or gas pump a deep insert skimmer, or the newer threats are, are certainly the Bluetooth skimmers where they can open up the top of the ATM or the gas pump with their six generic keys that are out there to open any of these millions of gas pumps, place a Bluetooth skimmer in, lock it up, and they're in business in about 15 seconds. So our tool has a list of the known threats that are have been found out in the wild, the actual cool. databases, and these are kind of hard-coded um, IDs from the Bluetooth module that they're spitting out so we can quickly find them, pop it up on the alert, discriminate, and allow you to direction find and say, ah, that gas pump right there or that ATM machine right there, I show an ID for a Bluetooth skimmer. Don't use it. Open it up. Lock it up. Boom. So it's been a really great part of the business, and we've been getting into that heavily and learning a lot. Were you, and that's were you guys on the other side of that when Square and... PayPal actually invented the skimming business by deploying all those free. Th For people that don't understand credit cards and that magnetic strip or the chip. Okay. The chips are nothing special. They've already been exploited. There's public keys out there to decrypt your chip. The mag strip on the back of your credit card is special because the track the way that you read the track is just like an old audio recorder, but they were laid out in a special format, meaning that they were spaced specially for credit card equipment. What happened was our commercial entities decided that it would be a great idea if all of us could accept credit cards on these. So they divided, made some devices that were in the marketplace for low cost or free and take those apart and that's inside most of the skimmers i've ever seen how about you yeah it, it, you could build a skimmer i don't say for nothing but virtually nothing you're talking about some of these adreno kits and things like that it, it's basically a low cost microchip for maybe five bucks a little lithium polymer battery there and it's basically the head. It's the read head that you would find in another credit card machine. You put all that together with a little bit of uh, hot glue. And if you want to go high tech, you add a Bluetooth module that's mass produced in China. It's about $5. A little bit of know-how. You got to put it together. But again, there's kits, there's education, there's videos how to do this. Or you could just buy a Bluetooth skimmer or a traditional skimmer out there. And it tells you step by step how to install it. You don't have to have any knowledge. That's the part that scares me so much. And what's our protection? That, that's, that's what's lacking there. There's not a lot of rules and regulations. If you look at our gas pumps, they're not chip and pin compatible. The vast majority of them are not. They pushed out the legislation and the, the liabilities within the United States, we're protected. If our credit card is compromised anywhere, online or, or gas station or what have you, there's a $50 liability limit. That's 50 bucks out of our pocket. If you call up your issuing bank and say, hey, I don't want to pay this $50, guess what? They'll say, all right, we'll waive the $50. Right. We have yeah. Really it, protection laws. Right. Yeah. We have great protection laws. And by the way, you don't personally pay for it. It comes off your taxes. It's called the FDIC. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, don't be fooled that any bank ever loses money. 
The no. banking industry takes it straight from our tax dollars. They're covered under the insurance policies. That's why so why it's so important that Visa a long time ago needed access to the banking industry because Visa and MasterCard are separate companies. They are not the credit industry. These are private companies, and they needed access to the banking industry to have their own protection. In. Yeah. So that's what, that's what happened. So all the skimmers and all this stuff have more to do with the violation of breaking our, our money. That's why the Secret Service is actually investigating and yeah. does investigate. That's the, the official U.S. government investigative agency them and the fbi because of uh the interdepartment abilities and jurisdiction within the yeah. government yeah do you get involved with the investigative stuff yeah i actually do in fact I, I did some training uh end of last year for uh some in the secret service and certainly we work with fbi we work with local law enforcement we're very closely uh working also with uh, national weights and measures we, we've done so much business in the, the, the finding of skimmers that we actually even developed a black box that is, we call it a, a skimmer uh, detection training box where we put multiple threats inside a box. We have several different card readers there, some that are clean and some that have a skimmer on it. And then we have multiple Bluetooth modules in there that are attached to skimmers. So we can actually use that black box, go into a facility and provide training for one person or a hundred people. And we hand out the tools and we let them learn and train that way when they go out to the field. And again, be it if they're law enforcement, national weights and measures, if they're in the petroleum industry, convenience stores, whatever their specific market is, they can use low cost tools so they could actually find and, and remove the skimmers before more um, money is stolen. Cause I think the average gas pump now is about $114,000 and credit card fraud is made before the skimmer is detected. I heard that statistic and it blew my mind. So it's multi-billion dollars that are being stolen in our credit cards when we fuel up, when we go to the retail store, all these different aspects. So something's got to be done. So we're trying to put a dent in it. I'm not saying we're stopping it, but uh, we're, we're giving the criminals a good run for the money. And of course, what they typically do then is what? They shift to another technology. So, and we're already seeing that they're, they're looking at cellular skimmers and this and that and in different ways yeah, but, to compromise. So. Yeah. But really what, what all this has to do with in the United States from what I've seen, and I'd really like your input on this is that the downside of econo the economy coupled with the meth epidemic in the Midwest was primarily the major contributor behind most of the skimming, most of these threats within the local places. I live in New England and mm -hmm. up here, they don't even know. I live in uh, central Connecticut and I okay. communicate all the way up to through Massachusetts and into Vermont. These people here have no idea what meth is. This is all uh, this is all the cartels, black tar heroin district, not the meth. So we don't have the skimming problems that New Jersey, Kentucky, Tennessee, Pennsylvania and going out west. It just gets worse and worse all the way out to California. Yeah. What do you um, by the way, I, I'm just kind of curious about something because. There is a company that I'm aware of that currently has is involved with the game applications for cell phones specifically in that marketplace. They're um, an Indian slash, believe it or not, an Indian slash Pakistani concern, which I, um, but their company actually embeds um listening software to do exactly what you were relaying to on your patent on the tv stuff they're currently covering for radio transmission and tv transmission um for monitoring everything on the internet literally 
Um, The way it works is if you have a game on your cell phone, you kick on the game and the mic pops open and they're sending and sampling for background packets that match a program that has solicited for their metric. Um, are, Are you involved with that company and are you still doing that stuff? No, we, we are not involved in that company. I have done some research um, in that area, and I've heard about several companies doing similar type of things where they can kick on the microphone and they're doing some sampling and comparing what they're taking in against the database and providing some advanced analytics and now in turn selling that to third parties and making a lot of money doing it. And most of the time, it's kind of, I look at it as, a type of surveillance that the end user, whoever's got the, the game on their phone, just clicked and they opted into it, not realizing they're giving permission to turn on the microphone and, and all this other stuff there and collecting this data, which is, to me, one of the biggest problems with all of these apps, be it games or anything that we download on our, our mobile phone. I, I share a statistic all the time when I when I present, and and it's that if you take the average American's phone with all of the apps that we've downloaded, be it paid or freebie apps, and you read all the terms and conditions to what you agreed upon when you hit agree, it would take you three months just to read all those. And I always ask the question, who in the world has ever spent three months of their entire life to read all the terms and conditions? Nobody does because it's written in legalese. And it, to me, seems like it's criminal. They really have to improve that, make it so we can actually comprehend and know what our rights are and what they have access to on our private devices. Sure. Well, the, you know, the back end of all this is really one company. And if you follow me on the Internet, I talk about that one company all the time. Their legal department is behind most of that. That's provable. The information that's shared, though, when I'm talking about foreign concerns versus American concerns of surveillance is through your investigation, your training with federal agencies, has the American government finally gotten wise that the rest of the world is surveilling our government through our population? I think the American government is starting to realize it. And, and, and why do I say that? In my opinion from what I've seen is look at the strong stance that the current administration has taken towards specifically Huawei and the 5G deployment, which I think is interesting. And, and it's concerning that the standard for 5G is very different than looking back at 4G or 3G. We think of 3G and all the communications within America. It was all done through CDMA, and it was encapsulated pretty much within America. You go to another country, go to Europe, it was GSM. You've got a different standard. So there's no easy way to tap into the wireless pipe and mass surveil people. Now, look at come 5G, here we are 2020 on, it's a global standard. Everybody's connected into the internet. Internet of things, as you talked about before, billions and billions of devices. Everybody's quick to so plug into that internet without thinking about any of the ramifications. And who makes the infrastructure? 65% of the infrastructure is Huawei. So you've got a Chinese company, huge, multi-billion dollar company that has been known to do some things um, a little on the edge there, or maybe a little bit more on the edge with uh, surveillance and, and planting bugs, spying, so on and so forth. And now they're controlling the infrastructure equipment and another 10% of other Chinese companies. So you've got about 75% of the equipment that's used on a global scale. And you've got the United Kingdom and Australia. You've got a lot of different pockets of countries that have now said, yeah, it's okay to use that equipment. And the United States took a much stronger stand and said, we're banning it. They made well, some concessions. Yeah, well, we're banning it. We're banning it. But the other side of it is that our one company that's here, one, one giant partner of all of technology is doing the exact same thing that China does, except they're a Chinese business partner. And I don't know how much China knows about us because currently their database 
which is for sale to the entire world, covers 320 million people. Uh, or 230 million people, sorry. There's about 120 million that uh, are uncountable, that don't connect anything, yeah. little kids and other things at any given time, elderly as well. Sure. Um, but of the functioning people, now, how much do the Chinese already know about us because of what we've allowed or being massaged into believing and openly stolen from us because I don't buy the sharing agreements at all. I know very well, I'll tell you something, I have personally lied on everything that I've ever done on the internet forever. So I know that all the pieces of data that has been collected about me that I can buy, that is real, has been stolen. I did not agree with it. Yeah. I've never agreed with it. So even through the security checks, I, I've gone through uh, an investment bank and they were asking me security questions that I never provided. And I'm like, I can't answer your question because you're dealing with stolen data. <laughs> I don't know what I answered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's true. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and, that, and that's good. I think that the fact what you did was brilliant. If you do kind of do a little bit of your own, I always tell people, do your own investigation, do a little trial and error to test it out. And when you start to see things appear that you purposely falsified, appear over here, what does that tell you? It tells you it's compromised. I, I think to, to, to your point, to answer to your, your initial question about how much does China know about us and the citizens here? Everything, not everything, but almost everything, because there's so many different pipes and there's so many different means that I think the U.S. and other countries have turned their head in the sake of business, relationships, whatever, to allow this mass surveillance to carry on. The concern, of course, is now you've got China and you've got who are some of the allies of China and they're not, not too far around China also have access to that. And a lot of their data channels go through China. So it, from a national security standpoint, I think people that understand even the basic technology must have a grave concern where we are now in the stream of times with the mass surveillance, the stealing of IP, but also where it's going. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, I think. Well, the one thing that most people don't understand about demographic data is that your personal data goes stale after about three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So even if you make a subtle change today and you decided not to share your data in three to four years, you fall off of the active grid. You can also turn 50 and you pretty much throw, get thrown off of most of the marketing stuff um, because of the age of 50, you end up not being the general consumer. You get more. You're not targeted and, as much. Yep. Well, you, you don't have the disposable income level. The people that are vulnerable to that are primarily in their uh, middle 20s to uh, middle 30s, it, those are the people that just burn through money. And then after thir middle 30s to out to 50, you end up acquiring assets. And then after 50, you're tr trying to scramble for um, when you're going to kick off working anymore. And this is a thing that when we talk about the banks and stuff, that is so important. And Keeping your electronics and keeping your investment away from FDIC stuff, that all gets paid back. Your investments, if somebody gets into your investment stream, you're screwed. There is no protection for you. If they get into your 401k or they steal your stock investments, you're, it's gone. There yeah. is no recovery. And a lot, of, a lot of the people that do the security stuff don't really talk about that. Do you have any idea why? Uh, probably because they're a little bit ignorant in the area. Um, they want to preserve their job, perhaps, and, and keep selling what they're selling. That could be a big part of it as well. There's a lack of knowledge, I think, about it. And then there's also um, some of the larger companies, some of the banks and the institutions are saying, shh, Keep quiet about it. 
there's a lot of reasons. And I I look at different problems out there constantly. I look at, like we talked about credit cards before. I I can't for my life understand why do we still have a mag stripe on a credit card? We're talking technology that's decades and decades old that is not secure. Chip and pin, is it more secure? Sure. Do we use chip and pin here in the United States? Not really. It's chip and signature. Who enters a pin in when they actually stick their card in the front of a uh, a terminal? I don't. Why, know why do in. Why do we have the same number for both the what's inside the pin and what's printed on the card? Those should be separate. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it, crazy. Why are we not using um, Google Wallet? Why are we not using Apple Pay? There, well, we're not sending our credit card information. It's a one time token. It's encrypted, end-to-end encryption. Only the bank is holding our actual you know, account information, proprietary information. It works. It's not being breached. Can it be hacked? Of course it can be. Is it a lot of work to do it? Sure. It's expensive, a lot of work. Nobody's going to bother when every idiot in America is walking around with a credit card or a debit card with a mag stripe on it. It's simple why, to steal. Why, why, don't the, um, why doesn't the credit card system build in into the cash register an app that literally makes a callback to the credit card company and grabs a picture and says, hey, is this him? I mean, your data, there is so much data about every one of us that the companies, I don't know how many people realize this, but every time you use your credit card, it's not only one company that's grabbing your data, it can be up to six. Um, And that is meaning when you slide it into a device, meaning a gas pump, the merchant ID company, the security company behind the merchant ID, actually the brand ID at the backside, the carrier bank, that's five, okay? Every one of them has your data. And depending on the ingrain of the system, like the ones that Oracle uses, Oracle made a play for the entertainment industry. Most people don't know that Oracle is one of the biggest data brokers in the world. Um, And headquartered, where are they now? Are they still in Ireland? I'm not sure. Oracle? Yeah. Yeah, that I don't know. I'm not sure. Microsoft is where now? Microsoft and Facebook, yeah, they, they, their headquarters is actually not here. I, they're, from what I understood, they I offshore during because of the tax advantages that they have there. Yeah, didn't that get burned though? And they're moving back. Yeah, I yeah. think it did, and they had some. I don't know what you call it, repropriation or whatever, and pulled it back here, some percentage of it, um, because of all the the problems and challenges that happened, and they they were able to come back without taking a big tax hit, so they could bring more money back here and not keep it in offshore banks in Ireland and other places and, and keep their corporate identity there. Well, there, there was another backstory reason that I had heard why these companies moved their headquarters. And that was because of the data privacy laws at the, at the federal level, the data needed to not be housed or owned by a company that was actually inside the United States. Um, if you move the data outside the United States, you get around that, or you use uh, an intelligent agency that's not inside the United States to look mm-hmm. backwards. But th- that has gotten caught, particularly in that Canada case. Uh, that's going to be coming up to the Supreme Court. Have you been following that? No, I haven't. But I do know of a lot of, um, I don't want to say loopholes, but even even you look at the NSA, and a lot of the things that happened in the past as far as mass surveillance and everybody was up in arms, they can't plug into the pipe here within the United States. And they said, yeah, sure. So they go to another country and simply plug in and they can do mass surveillance because all of that data is around the globe. It's traveling from country to country and there's redundancies in multiple spots. So there's a lot of ways to work around the laws that are here in the U.S. to do mass surveillance. And, and some of it maybe is from a, you could argue, a protection standpoint against bad guys and terrorists and so on and so forth. That being said, uh, there's a lot more mass surveillance that's being done from just data as we're talking about. And I think going forward, all of this big data is now, and, and metadata, is leading to 
uh, a lot more problems because we're putting out so much more data just in the past few years than ever we have before in decades. That could be used for good, but a lot of times it's being used against us, not just selling ads, but even from a security standpoint. Um, that, that's got me wondering what, what the future looks like with all this uh, data out there through the Internet. Well, there's a, that California thing. I just saw a video of some people that were in the back end talking specifically about the Tinder app and the use of Tinder's data being open in California so that you can at what the California law is, is that you can actually see what's collected about you. Um, the test is going to be whether or not the companies give you the data. But and anybody that would Probably like not. anybody that would like the addresses of all these companies and what they collect, I actually know who these companies are and what they collect. I've been doing this for about a decade, so I do know who these guys are. Um, a lot of the CEOs and uh, other things and the details about who runs them. Um, you know the the thing about all of our collection and we're talking about mass collection globally is that in the the danger that i see is that the world has access to our data it's not just marketing companies in the u.s trying to sell you a ham sandwich this is you know you leave the outside face it the reason that most of this data gets collected is an extortion racket there's a reason that data gets collected in the aspect of the credit industry or selling you stuff but on the other side of it if you leave the the confines of our country you end up being on the watch list like the cartels and the it people that disappear and built the cartel infrastructure I, I heard that uh, those guys never escape. Yeah. So, so what do you what do you do you build electronics and devices that leave the country into other nations to do security yeah. appliances? Yeah, we do. The vast majority of what we actually sell, though, is going to the the uh, a U.S. DoD agency that is outside of the country. So therefore, our equipment might ship to a specific location here in the States. They, in turn, will have that sent to a remote base used for specific purposes, whatever their, their mission or whatever they're trying to accomplish there to maintain security or set up temporary networks to hunt down signals, to stop bad guys, whatever the case may be. So um, we have to be very careful, obviously, who we are selling to. We have to have a vetting process. We have to have a certain things established so we really know where this equipment ends up and we have to have some ability to um, basically track it and know where this asset ends up. And, and there's, there's a couple different ways that we do this in working with these different agencies. So it's not something that's uh, mass produced and sold to the open public, a lot of the tools. Well, cool. I mean, I, it, that stuff sounds really neat. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that uh, there were devices out there looking at my cell phone when I went by street signs. That's an interesting box. Yeah, well, oh, some neat stuff. Neat stuff. Yeah. And, and I think some of the stuff that we're doing, um, and, and it doesn't all turn to products or solution. We do some other diverse areas. We're doing a lot of research on vaping right now. Um, not whether it's safe or not, but really detectors and sensors looking at uh, air quality, uh, VOC, and all the different types of uh, particulates that are in vaping. So we could actually alert and detect that, in, in particular, focusing in on school systems where it's a, a kind of a problematic area. Uh, kids go in the bathroom and they're vaping all the time and getting in trouble and trying to at least keep it outside of the school. So uh, some sensors and some development that we're doing there is pretty exciting. And I got another one coming out, a, um, a weapons detection system. We're actually uh, going through some prototype stages right now to detect all different size weapons. And it's really more of a ferrous detection method. So we get the uh, ferrous signature and look at a disruption when a gun or a knife that's kind of hidden or concealed on a person comes through a secure area 
And that disruption of the natural magnetic flux in the X, Y, and Z axis will then allow us to get a you know strong spike and, and trigger and let let the you know security personnel know that hey there's a gun on them or a knife hidden on them and then where specifically because it's a simple pole or a portal that you walk through where on the person that that's actually concealed so some pretty exciting stuff there and I think with all of the problems that we see in schools uh, sporting events where there's a huge problem people bringing weapons in and gang activity and riots and all this other stuff it, at least it gives security people an opportunity to early identify somebody that's trying to enter a facility with a weapon on them, alert them, and then they can do what they have to do. So, so some pretty exciting stuff that, and it doesn't break the bank like some of these uh, backscatter and x-ray and all these other advanced technologies. They're great. They've got a place. And if you're getting on an airplane or something like that, they're, they're, they're used and very effective. Um, but there's other lower cost solutions and, and methods that really haven't been effectively explored and used to the masses. And that's what I think we're starting to, to realize in a lot of our research and development here. Have you guys been developing any of the floor stuff for, um, for the, um, there's a, there's a method that you can inject low frequency radio waves from flooring and then you get a reflection back. It works kind of like the radar principle, but it's at such low frequency that there isn't really any, um, thing and also, do you guys get into any of the sniffing technologies, like for microbes? No, we really haven't gotten into that a lot, nor nor the floor stuff. Although I've heard of things like that, we've done some I call it niche projects. We did a really cool one for um, NASA a, a couple years ago, and that we equipped some transmitters and on ground receivers, and it could actually measure the uh, signal propagation, and we could try it at different frequencies and learn a lot about how signals travel at different speeds and that's all used to enhance secure communications and not just for just flying but as you could imagine in a lot of different areas of uh, aerospace and defense cool cool so um listen i we recorded like 58 minutes cool so my um, I'm going to turn this in. I'll do it as a podcast. The video stuff is okay, and I'll slice the video stuff down so that it's like 20 to 30 minutes at max. Yeah, because, a little bit. Yeah. Could you, um, do you have a copy of your latest book, and why don't you do an audio uh, video ad for your book, and I'll mm-hmm. throw that into the video, the finalized video? Sure, sure. You want me to do something right now, or do you want me to yeah, do it yeah. offline and send it to you? Yeah, if you want to do that offline and send it to me, that would be cool too. Yeah, I could re- record a little clip. Any any duration? What what? Uh, minute how long? max max minute. Give you a minute plug. Okay, and you want video? Or yeah, audio? yeah. Give me give me both. And yeah. if <laughs> if you um, if you need help developing something, uh, just reach out and I'll help you. Um, it's really not a problem. I'm left yeah. brain, right. I'm left brain, right brain, man. Uh, I'm, uh, I've been doing the security stuff and I'm going to, um, I'm going to start doing a podcast for the arts next. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. I'm going to stay with the security stream and, you know, while we were talking, I'll tell you my, what was going through my mind is some of the paranoid rooms that people invited me to on twitter <laughs> you're gonna scare the crap out of them <laughs> yeah there's a I, I found also the because of our products some of the uh articles i've written some of the chapters in my book even i think i've attracted a percentage of interesting characters let's say out there we, we also work very closely with um a couple groups i'm, I'm part of the um, espionage research international group and i present every year down in dc i usually give a one-hour presentation on the you know latest threat and some tools or techniques how to overcome it from different espionage and these are people that come in oftentimes from different parts of the world and they're protecting dignitaries or or whatever the case may be so it's a fascinating group and you learn a ton of things um, but when you are in that community and then also the, the TSC and the technical, technical surveillance countermeasure guys, um, 
a lot of crazy people that call us all the time and they hunt us down and they, they show up at our door. So we got to keep the front door locked. They got, you know, <laughs> tin, tin foil coming out their head and people are inside their brain and, and they're being yeah, spied, well, followed. Yeah, but, crazy. You know, well, these are, you know, honestly, man, if you want my, uh, if you want my true opinion on all of this, including the exploits Drug abuse, gun violence, Mm -hmm. and politics have too many mentally ill people in them. Yes, definitely. (laughs) If we don't let the mentally ill dictate to us what policy is, and we took made the mentally ill go to hospitalization, they would not be the problem that they are. We are unique in the United States because we don't have a hospital system for the mentally ill. Um, Institutions still exist in Europe. Um, Mexico, even, that's third world to us. They literally have... Uh, institutions. So if you're not of mental state and you're a problem to the society, you go there. Yeah. Um, and it's unique to us that we not only allow these people, they fill our prisons, they commit heinous crimes, they make all these devices if they're IQ is up and, you know, you take a little bit of meth and you're up for a couple days and um, breaking through credit card data that's all for sale, literally every stitch of it, um, not having anything to lose because they know they're screwed anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they literally, they don't care. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for... Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it and appreciate your insight there. And uh, I'll get a little uh, short blurb on the book over to you in video and audio, and then you can feel free to intertwine it as you, as you, as you see fit. And I greatly appreciate it. Yeah. And that was uh, my interview with Scott. I uh, really enjoyed having him on. And to you guys, you have a great evening. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with something really interesting, so look for it.